So a two-parter to start off our little discussion here. Uh, biggest upset and most satisfying upset between this year's World Series and the 2019 Nats victory over Houston. Oh, that's a that's a good call. So I think the... I, I guess you'd have to say, for me, the bigger upset is this year, even though I think the Astros are thought of were thought of as less of a juggernaut coming in this year than they were then. You look at it, and they still won a whole bunch of games. Was it 95? Was it 93, something that range? Especially mid-90s, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they, so they still won a bunch of games. Um, but the just looking at the Braves and the fact that they have, like, you know, they have nine outfielders, and no one <laughs> wanted any of them that much anywhere else. <laughs> so And, like, and they were one of the couple best outfielders in the world who wasn't there. So they didn't have Acuna, who, uh, who's their best player. So um, I think that's, you know, th- so I think that, is to me, is the bigger upset. Uh, just the Braves got in with their you know, 80 some wins and, and did that the more satisfying, I think it's like, obviously it's great to see the Astros lose now, but the more satisfying upset, I think what had to be the nationals one. Oh, you know, cause it's just like, I could root for the nationals in a way I couldn't really root for the Braves much of that fan base. So I could be like just happy for, for the Nats and a lot of the players uh, on that team. And also the Astros had more of the actual bad guys on the team at that point, you know? (laughs) True that, yeah. In terms of like a fan comp, yeah, it's it's totally one sided in favor of the Nats. It is, you know, essentially the the 2016 Cubs versus the 1999 Cubs. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah. whereas you're talking about the fan base that booed Donald Trump in Game what four or five of the World Series that year. Yeah, combine them into five, which is yeah, interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, halfway in between. <laughs> uh, versus the fan base where Trump joined in their racist gesture in game four of this year. So yeah, hundred percent team Nats in that direction. Yeah. And it's like the Braves just went out of their way to be the asshole at every turn here. I mean, right after like at, from selecting Travis Tritt to do uh, the song before the game, like after he went absolutely like ham uh, online about like about everything but like vaccine stuff certainly so they it's like Travis Tritt isn't it's not like man he's so hot right now we just when you can get when you can get Tritt you gotta get him no (laughs) like his hotness was from being awful like the music had nothing to do with it and they went out of their way to choose to choose that and then to bring Trump into Tomahawk Chop uh in whatever game that was you know three or four um yeah, it just like they they had the underdog status. They were facing the clearest villains in the game, and it seems like they went out of their way to make to make a lot of fans. I think, and certainly, I was like, "Well, I don't care now. I just don't care whoever can win." Yeah, yeah. The, the I mean, the tomahawk chop really almost has to be Trump's bat signal. Like when <laughs> yes, you it's... have three games of that's going, it's almost like, of course, he's going to show up. Like you, yeah. you can almost like just appear without even like flying in it, it almost feels like it's it, i'm crossing like references here but <laughs> it, he gets beamed up into an environment where forty thousand people are doing the most racist thing you can do at a yeah, baseball point yeah, right uh candy man candy man candy man situation with uh, <laughs> the, the racist but, racist racist yeah <laughs> but for the country yeah yeah exactly and it is a perfect the the time log chap in 2021 is the perfect trump thing because it's like it it shouldn't be impactful. It's just a stupid thing that immediately draws lines. And 
a stupid thing that draws lines that you can pretend is uh is like you know life or death about your constitutional rights and that's that's perfect for him because i mean like i remember it being 1991 and being you know I, what was i i was eight at the time so i remember being eight years old and the braves and twins being in in uh, in the world series and that was right around the first time i was uh, like really aware of baseball like following it on a on a daily basis and I remember hearing the Tomahawk Chop and being like, this is cool sounding. Because it was like a whole stadium doing a thing, whatever. I was eight. And, you know, I, I, so I do understand that there were other people who were eight then, too, and who grew up with it and who didn't think about it in, in the way that it is making a silly sound of a particular race. And, mm-hmm. and this, and this uh, gesture with a weapon, with an outdated weapon. I mean, like... The, I understand people like have an emotional attachment that is completely away from any sort of like cognitive awareness of it, or at least started that way, but you have it now. Like, so there's, I think like, I understand people being like, it's a bummer to lose this on an, on a sort of deep embedded level. But if, if you're, if you were chopping at the stadium now, you're doing it very intentionally. And you can see in the stadium too, it wasn't every Braves fan. You could see, I mean, it was a lot of them, but it wasn't everyone. (laughs) you know hashtag not all Braves fans yeah (laughs) yes exactly yeah it's interesting um that in terms of what you mentioned about when it started in 1991 it's almost a window into what we either accepted or ignored as racism in that era because Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember when it became kind of a phenomenon when the Braves went worst to first that year that uh in the Mel Brooks movie, Robin Hood Men in Tights, for example, there's a scene at an archery competition where somebody in the crowd announces, Robin's got another shot. Let's give him the chop. And everybody in the crowd then proceeds to do the chop to spur Robin Hood. Oh, man. On. Uh, there's also, I'm pretty sure, a Saturday Night Live monologue. I don't remember who it is, but the host keeps getting interrupted by everybody in the crowd doing the chop enthusiastically. And Interesting. Yeah, so like 1991, we definitely had Native American activists telling us, this is not cool, don't do this. This hurts mm. us as a people, a, literally the one of the most marginalized groups in the entire country. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And as a bunch of white people, we said, eh, but it's fun. Mm. And that was that era. And and now it's, uh, it's... I hate to, to make this seem like it's it's going like a sociological podcast for a second, but <laughs> there is a large swath of people that definitely want to take us back to when that racism was, you know, you could brush off any complaints about it and just be like, yeah, we're white people. We're the top, baby. We get to do this shit. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I'm the symbol for that. Yeah. And it's it's a bummer because it, it would be functionally as easy to just brush off doing the thing. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not, it's not hard. No one else, you know, no one else is doing that. I mean, uh, I, I, I can't think of many teams who have any sort of coordinated noise. They just do game long. Like, you know, it's not, you can get by without it, but it becomes this sort mm-hmm. of badge of, you know, badge of honor slash dishonor for them. So it's, yeah, I, between that and like choosing uh, and cho- choosing to have Travis Tritt there. And then, mm-hmm. and, I, and for, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I read your, I read your piece about how teams reacted to, uh, to Pride Night and the Braves sure, were also they. not good there, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, the Spirit Day, uh, Spirit the Day. annual GLAD uh, Day of Outreach to LGBTQ youth. And 
Yeah, both the Braves and the Astros omitted any mention of LGBTQ youth in their tweets. The Astros, to their credits, when they heard the outcry, issued a couple of tweets later on, uh, specifically directed saying, yeah, we acknowledge the importance of LGBTQ youth to our fan base. We want to be a, a team that, out, that demonstrates outreach and demonstrates inclusion. Um, and they, they tried to make it good. So at, like when you are falling beneath the Astros in terms of morality, like, yeah. you know, you done lost the fight at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, and so to your original question, I, I think certainly for, for me, more satisfying also because it was a game seven. So it was dicier, you know, yeah. it was, it felt like that, that the game seven felt like more of an underdog than the Braves in game six Braves may be underdog overall, but uh, yeah, it was. So I think, being able to just kind of root for a team that I wanted to see win and wanted to see, you know, and there's players I'm very happy to see win on Atlanta too. But mm -hmm. at the time, like Scherzer was a guy where I'm just like, Scherzer should have a ring. Like, yes. I love that guy. He's so fun and he should have one at least, you know? Yeah. I like when guys, you know, who are going to the hall of fame, get their first ring, especially after it's been a while. And it's like, yeah, you got validated, man. And mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, I, I always feel good. Like, if the Astros had won this year, I would have been like, hey, Granky, you got it. Finally, mm -hmm. man. Totally. Yeah. Granky, you could have felt felt good about. And in and in like Scherzer's case with the Nats, he won the ring with the team he'll go into the Hall right. of Fame with, too. Right. So it's like it feels like a you know an appropriate way to win, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into this one in a second. This is Three Strikes Are Out, the Out Sports Baseball Podcast. The World Series Concluding Edition. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and real-life stand-up comedian in person. The other voice you are hearing, as per tradition this time of year, co-host of Away Games, one of my best buds, friend of the pod, Kevin McCaffrey. Hey, man, thanks for having me. This is uh, It's fun fun to be here talking, and, and I guess the way that's become our regular way more than uh, more than what it used to be, used to be doing stand-up, and we did just do that together in, uh, in, in your homeland, kind of, your current homeland, my former, in uh, the Chicago area. Yes, a place that will always be part of my heart and part of yours. Good old yeah. Rosemont, Illinois. <laughs> Rosemont, I yes. I was born at O'Hare Airport and I went to O'Hare East uh, High School. Yep. Uh, <laughs> right next to the indoor skydiving place in the, in, in the that mall. But yeah, it, it was fun to do stand-up uh, on the same show again uh, a few weeks yeah. ago. Fun to be talking baseball. Like, like old times where, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I guess if you transported a dive bar in bushwick to a place that's as you say next to indoor skydiving and a cannabis mm -hmm. dispensary so <laughs> yeah you know, perfect. kind of fake brooklyn i suppose yeah totally. uh so yeah speaking of i guess fake brooklyn that's the best way to talk about uh atlanta's current ballpark mm -hmm. but uh i'm trying to segue us back into this the series yes. here and kind of picking up where i talked with adam last week where we spent a lot of time kind of celebrating jorge soler after his series opening home run and uh, I want to start by talking about this, where um, in game four, I met up with fellow friend of the pod, Sarah Sanchez, and we were watching at uh, Nice Lounge, which is one of the best baseball-themed dive bars in the Wrigleyville area. And when Jorge hit the pinch-hit home run to give the Braves the eventual 3-2 win in game four, the entire bar went off. Like, it was almost an explosion. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was like, this is maybe the biggest like redeemer for the 2021 season for me being here 
this specific place in this specific moment and seeing a guy who was a member of the 2016 team, but was not, you know, one of the marquee names at that point. Right. Being celebrated by the fan base and acknowledging that you are still, even though obviously you are the Braves World Series hero this season, you're still one of us. And we are here for you and we support you and we are rooting for you. And we are so excited you've had this moment. And I thought this is the biggest moment of humanity for me in this baseball season, especially one that's been marked for us specifically by just an absolute loss of humanity from a sociopathic team president to a team owner that does not give a shit anymore. Uh, And so Jorge Soler, not only World Series MVP, but also to me kind of just a brief redeemer for this misbegotten season. Yeah, he he was, uh, you know, and he's also a guy who was traded away from uh, from the Cubs, which is, you know, it's the team we root for. He was traded away, but it was different than every all the trades that happened this year because it was a trade that made baseball sense. It was a trade where he was a young guy who uh, showed a ton of promise early and then just he was kind of surplus positionally and the Cubs had a need somewhere and traded a guy with uh, a big future, we thought, and obviously a World Series MVP and an American League home run title is is we- a weirdly huger future on paper than it even feels like Jorge's had since leaving. But those are obviously massive things. And we knew we were dealing a guy who had that upside uh, for a closer for only one season. So it was a tough trade because we liked that guy, but it made sense. And so I think the fact that you know, I think that shows that you, we're not just whiny baseball fans who are like, never trade anybody, you know, like, <laughs> it, like, it's no, there can be things that make sense, even if they hurt. And this year just was a lot of not that, or at least not, not completely that. And he was a guy who, you know, I thought, I agree that it, it's very cool that the fan base still feels so warmly towards him when you could feel like, oh, he never, he, he didn't end up being what he seemed like he was going to be. Uh, for us in in those first in that first month of being called up or whatever uh and yeah and it's fun to be like oh no we uh, you know even if it feels like sometimes parts of the fan base do forget what 2016 was it's nice to be like we won't forget you know (laughs) you're always you're always welcome here you know yeah he contributed enough to that 2016 team for me and i think also that 2015 series where he went off against the cardinals in the nlds really helped too that he was the offensive linchpin essentially of, of that series Dominant, and yeah. I, I, I think it, it also shows that if you're part of that Cubs team, that historic Cubs team, and asterisk, you don't turn out to be a total piece of shit, Chapman or Russell, sure. um, you are in our hearts forever and mm-hmm. will always be that way, regardless of your role from that year or what team you're on or what you, how many years it's been. And something about that, to me, uh, is, again, the most encouraging thing I've heard this entire season. Yeah, I think it means it, it's cool to be like uh, people are still paying attention and still caring, you know, uh, and and yeah, I don't think and I don't think every fan base w- would be like that necessarily, you know, um, would be yeah. would would be would react that emotionally to it. So, yeah, it was awesome to see. And the fact that he had three homers and a couple of them about as hard as 
anyone's ever hit a homer, you know, especially that that last one. I didn't see the exit velocity oh, numbers on it, but I know he's maxed out at one uh, a touch over 115 before, which is, you know, literally upper 0.1 percentile of the human mm-hmm. population. It's basically like <laughs> him, Stanton, Judge, and that's about it. You know, there's not a lot of 115s um, out there, but holy, holy crap, that was a, that was yeah. a fun one to see. I think that exit velocity, have you seen the scene from Superman where he reverses the Earth's gravitational pull? <laughs> yes, like, of course. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm saying that's probably the comp at that point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if they have the wall there, we could have gone back in time, <laughs> which actually would be a really good home run. If he, <laughs> if he could, if we, we just need to throw BP to Jorge, have him hit enough balls to spin us back in time. <laughs> I don't know. It would have to be a lot of years, but, uh, you know, we can try to fix some things. <laughs> that might be the best way to fix the Astro science stealing scandal before it begins. So it's there you go. a very clever plot by Jorge to reverse the Earth's rotation. <laughs> it was. Gravitation Jorge. Earlier for some reason. <laughs> Jorge, good thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that game four home run, that the back-to-back with him and Swanson, mm-hmm. and that one versus the Eddie Rosario catch an inning later, what do you think had the bigger role in terms of reversing where the series was headed at that point? Because that's, that's the pivotal, pivotal game. And you have two real pivotal moments in that pivotal game. Right. Uh, I mean, for me, I think it probably is the, 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 the homers, you know, it, uh, the Rosario catch definitely was, I mean, like, you know, Rosario is not a guy who's known for going and getting them. And off the bat, I thought it was much more, I, I thought it was even more trouble, you know, too. Um, but yeah, it felt like, I mean, just, I, I know some people or some people don't think momentum exists in baseball. Like I've seen, you know, baseball prospectus and fan graphs write-ups about how momentum and clutch and things like this aren't real, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it is. I feel, <laughs> I feel like momentum does exist. And those homers to me really, uh, were real, real like spirit killers, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, because that was the kind of game where. The Braves had been bullpenning that one, so mm-hmm. it's kind of playing on Houston's turf at that point. And the Astros had been screwing up opportunities the entire night by that point, and were still yeah. just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And so that was kind of, I think for them, they felt like, okay, we're into the, the really good arms of our bullpen, so if mm-hmm. we can just hang on for three more innings, we'll steal this one, we'll take back home field advantage, we'll go home for six and seven, that's how we do this thing. And that was a statement by Swanson and Solaire back to back, essentially saying, Nope, not tonight guys. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, that's Houston could never overcome that, even though they were facing a triple a starter the next night. Uh, Yeah. Neither here nor there. Yeah. But bizarre how we got here. It's just like, I swear to God there, I know I can name starting pitchers that do exist (laughs) in the major leagues at this, at this point, but what, but watching these, these playoffs, I just kept being like, this is, this has you have to have someone else like even if they're not good it makes me uh it sort of retroactively makes me understand why it felt like every playoff season someone was trading for jeff supan uh like (laughs) where it's just like it would be like this guy's not good right but then he actually he did have like one really good playoff run and he was just like you know what he is he's a starting pitcher he will throw Mm -hmm. five innings six innings and uh yeah i think teams probably don't trade for that like you know high fours era guy who throws six innings at the at the deadline as much but after this playoff series it it 
made me sort of be like, and I guess that's why you do. You want someone who can go longer, you know. Yeah, where have you gone? Jeff Supon is the saddest Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> yes, for your uh, for your uh, weird. I'm trying to weird Almora Yankovic. Would <laughs> uh, yes, baseball. what did this happen? Tagging up from first to second with an accordion around his neck. Love it. Yes, yes. Uh, but I mean, you bring up a good point here because. The lesson that I get from this series, and especially from game six of this series, is that starting pitching still exists. And if you have a starter who can dominate for six innings, that really, really matters in an environment where you're going up against a team who has none. Like that, mm-hmm. that to me is the story of the difference of this World Series is that the Braves had Max Fried and Ian Anderson, and the Astros had nothing close to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had, uh, you know, again, like Framber Valdez is a is a promising guy who's had a decent year, and Garcia had a good year too. But these guys aren't guys who go long, you know, and they don't have uh, as you know, uh, yeah, they're and they're. I was gonna say they don't have as much of a track record as as Freed and Anderson, which which is I guess true in Freed's case. They're all pretty young dudes, but um, yeah, it's it's like the really. The Astros had McCullers during the season, who was a genuine starting pitcher, had a very good season. But once he went down, it, it's it's just hard to bullpen your way through an entire series, you know. Absolutely. And especially when the starters are go- when even when your nominal starters are going like three and four, you know, that's close to bullpenning anyway. Yeah, the, the, my theory has always been that if you're going up against a team that's trying to bullpen the series, the best thing you can do is make it a long one, and mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what the Braves did because. At a certain point, either through attrition or through familiarity, you start hitting guys around. And Mm -hmm. we saw that with the Solera and Swanson back-to-back home runs. Um, And we saw that in the entirety of Game 6, where regardless of who Dusty was bringing in, they they were teeing off. And, I yeah, I I don't think that's an effective strategy for an entire series, unless you can get it done in four or five games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's... uh... Yeah, and and the Braves ended up being, you know, just a, a well. For, first of all, having freed that get, it seems like he got knocked around in that in that first game. But like, man, it was it was a lot of bad luck there. He was he wasn't on on, but it, he gave up what was it five or six runs? It ended up being. I think it was five. I think it was five. It was, it was the four and the second that I remember. And right. I think it was one after that. Uh, right. And, and it his problem like- clearly was not getting stepped on at first base. Yeah. Yes. And then once he once he got uh got the Eno slaughter spiking at first, then <laughs> oh, he <laughs> then then he turned things around and was and, and was dominant the whole time. And even in the game where he gave up those runs, uh he in his in his first appearance, he was able to last enough innings to not really burn that bullpen out. And then the Braves kind of undid that gift by yanking Anderson uh, a little early the next day. But right. um yeah, I like. I could totally see like someone saying, "Hey, Enos, the starting pitcher is Jewish." <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. The Enos would have approved in so many ways of, of that spiking. The only thing you might have been distract been able to distract him by doing the chop in the middle of his run to first base, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he'd just start chopping like he would just. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> Hashtag not all Enoses. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good. There's uh, a good. There's a cookie brand, I think. There's, yeah, there's some good Enoses. 
How did you feel about Ian Anderson being lifted in the middle of a no hitter in in that game? So I I only caught the end of his appearance that day, uh, but for, from what I'm told, he was like kind of all over the place for a no hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I so I don't think so. Maybe it's not as uh, as bad or reactionary a move as it, as it looks like if you just see the pitch count and how many hits he's given up. Yeah. Um, but I, I, def- I mean, I default to being like he's not really in trouble. And no, I, I think what would have made me have Ian Anderson go longer, I don't, he's not going nine in that game, but like what would have had me go longer is knowing how much the Braves were using that bullpen and trying to avoid any one of them having to appear is helpful in the next couple games that you're going to need too. So I think it was just. It was the, he was sort of battling through in a way that gave them the luxury to keep riding him, and that when they didn't, it hurt him. Yeah, his command was bad uh, when he was on the mound in that game. So it, it was a, a defensible move when they took him out. I just hate that it is defensible to do that, mm-hmm. especially in a game that was shaping up to be one of the most fun, and still was a fun one to watch, but could have like been taken up a level to see how far can he keep going with this. Mm-hmm. And they took him out specifically because third time through the order was about to start as opposed to a pitch count or right. kind of how he was struggling yeah. at that particular point. Pitch count was in the yeah. 70s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He could have easily, pitch count-wise, gone one or two more after that. And it's it's tougher. It's a tough place for me to kind of find where I stand on this and because I don't want to be John Smoltz when I say this. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge third time through the order is a thing and does exist. I am fully aware of that. But if there is one principle of analytics and sabermetrics that I could make disappear immediately, I think it would be third time through the order because mm-hmm. I just just hate watching that every time it happens when somebody's going that well, you know? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's I, I understand thir- that third look gives people a big a big jump statistically speaking, but no one had hit him that day either. Like yeah. so, it's not like and it, I, I mean he was all over the place, but I it didn't. I mean, were they hitting the ball a lot harder that second time through and just getting unlucky? Maybe they were. I I wasn't I wasn't watching, but like there are you know. <laughs> People have thrown no hitters before, and that took three times through the order. Like yeah. it just, you know, like it, it, it you can't throw a no hitter. I guess if maybe Madison Bumgarner could <laughs> game, like, but you can't really throw a no hitter without going three times through the order, and it has been done. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's, yeah, I think most of the time it makes sense to sort of be very cautious in that third time through, but there's days where guys are just less hittable, or the hitters are less hitterish, you yes. know. Or series, honestly, where the hitters are right. worse, as the Houston was this entire World Series. Yeah. And to me, it's and this might be a bit unfair, but I think it's the job of the manager to determine when third time through the order is going to be a thing versus when your guy is really bringing it tonight and mm-hmm. is able going to be able to overcome that th- third time through the order penalty. Yeah, and you're the one that's closest to this guy, and like uh, last year, the Kevin Cash thing. I honestly outside of a small velocity drop with, with, uh, with Snell on the mound, I think that was a moment where you could have looked at him and said, no, this is the night where everything is working for him. Let, let's ride it until I see he's about to struggle. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it, it also, as I say, just makes for more fun baseball that way to watch. It is. Yeah. You're, it definitely you're kind of on the edge of your seat saying, okay, is, is, is this the inning where it might break down or 
is he going to find another reserve of energy to keep this thing going? Yeah, and to to see like a special and memorable moment, which both the Snell and like the Anderson thing could have been more, but the Snell the Snell one had like gotten to memorable at that point. Well, certainly, he was so so dominant, and like as Dave Roberts said after, he's like, "Yeah, we didn't really have a chance against him. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like." And so, and that one did feel even more obvious in the uh, in the moment because, like like you said, he wasn't uh, quite as all over the place as as Ian Anderson seems like he was but uh yeah i think like just you know giving a human i mean it's a reason why it's one of the reasons why you can show me a lot of stats about this but i do think a clutch i do think clutch is a thing and the reason i think that is uh as much for personal negative experience in my life as for positive because there's been times in my life when i was unclutch where I, where my like, you know, emotions or vibe just got in the way of me performing as, as well as I could have. And there've been times when I've, you know, when uh, that hasn't been the case and when I've, I've upped my game and that happens to baseball players too. Like you can't tell me it doesn't. And I think uh, Ian, Ian Anderson had a chance, like if you ran him back out there again, there's a chance to really have that momentum, you know, to have like, it's it's the sixth inning and it's a no hitter and the crowd's get getting more into it and you know it's uh it's almost like in when you're throwing a no hitter I feel like th- there is a thing with pitchers where they have their own third time through the order you know it's like they're building confidence and and everything so yeah 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 and you, and you get to take that ride with them and that's one of the best parts about seeing a guy go out there for the third time through the order in a no hitter is is because you know okay. This could, as I say, this could be where it all falls apart. And when he just gets stronger, it's like, yeah, this this is this guy's epic tonight, and we are seeing it. We are there, there for the ride, as I say. Yeah, totally. um, yeah. And, and in terms of clutch, like I, I do believe clutch exists as well because, like, like you, I have personal experience with the opposite of clutch. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you don't believe that the opposite of clutch exists, I say. Just watch any any moment from my kickball career this past year. I'll show you opposite of clutch. Um, you, just, you just know going into the batter's box, Pete. <laughs> yep. Uh, Kevin, do you have anything to plug? Well, I still have you here, sir. Yeah, I'll. Uh, you can you can catch if you're listening to this. The maybe the most relevant thing is uh, the baseball and Chicago Cubs podcast I do with another comedian named Adam Mama Walla, and we are at Away Games Pod on Twitter and Instagram and all all those things. Uh, if you want to follow me in general, I'm a comedian, and uh, my uh, I'm everywhere at Kevin McCaff. That's Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at Kevin McCaff on all those things. If you want to see that, and uh, yeah, that's that's. Oh, and uh, I have a Sex in the City, a Sex in the City podcast that is coming back because, and just like that, <laughs> a series with a bizarre name, the reboot is coming back. So, Sex and the City, it's is the name of that podcast at Sex and the City. It's on Instagram, and you, you know how to find things. Plugging a Sex in the City podcast on an LGBTQ themed podcast. Do you think that'll work, Kevin? <laughs> I think, yeah, I was going to say, this is maybe one that uh, that works for the drop. <laughs> so come join us, me and my Kevin friend John and Bailey. Yes, yes, it is. And Kevin and John are delights, like both in podcast form and in just random hang form. So okay. I recommend plugging a random hang with Kevin and John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this World Series was the best thing to happen to Atlanta since Bram joined Simon on the Ferris wheel and Kevin, this <laughs> podcast is also the best thing to happen to Atlanta since then. It's been a joy, sir. <laughs> Thanks for having me.